This is Bruce Brodine from Not Lame Recordings and Pop Geek Heaven coming to you and listening to Power Pop Overdose. Thanks for taking your time today, Bruce. My pleasure. I got plenty of it. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> American 
influences? What were your influences growing up? You know, what got you passionate about music? Oh man, I just it it just winds back to a, an early age. Both my parents were musically inclined, uh, but for me, it was church music. Uh, and classical music from uh, the youngest of, of uh, ages, uh, age that I can uh, recall, you know, two, three, four, five years old. Uh, but like so many, like millions, quite literally, um, it was the Beatles. You know, the Beatles were the uh, hearing them for the first time, uh, probably, you know, 1966 or so was uh was something that just immediately connected to my music loving soul um and a lot of the one hit wonders of the late sixties and bubblegum music um that came out you know probably from late sixty eight uh on to you know to nineteen seventy one or so always uh connected with me but the styles of music that just I was kind of always a pantheist. I always like to say I worshipped at the altar of all. Um, I always found some, and still do, redeeming, uh, redeeming high uh, qualities with uh, any kind of music genre. I can sort of find something to, of merit that I can appreciate and lift up and enjoy. There's ones that I enjoy more than others. Uh, in the early 70s in my young life, it was uh, pro- progressive rock. Power pop when it wasn't power pop, uh, early seventies funk and soul, and uh, and I was a punk from the youngest of ages. I heard uh, the MC Five and Iggy Pop and T Rex, uh, the New York Dolls, um, you know, in nineteen seventy two and seventy three. So I was ten years old, and it just it just totally changed the DNA uh, of of my life. It really did.
Once uh, 1975 rolled around, I had discovered early Trouser Press, uh, Rock Scene Magazine, Cream, Bomp. Uh, we had Bomp had good distribution in Boston, and Trouser Press was the Bible. So before punk even hit, you know, I was I was dialed in and primed and ready to ride on that roller coaster. Oh yeah, and uh, I, can, I can literally just uh, connect uh, c- connect with uh, so many clear. Uh, powerful memories uh, of all these different bands that I experienced the first time from, from that era.
growing up in Boston. I have a <laughs> only a music geek will appreciate this. I have uh, an A track tape that I recorded off a radio broadcast, a blank A track tape, keep in mind, of uh, a bunch of local bands that were playing at the Paradise Theater. This is before the, the album came out. Um, they had uh, just got, um, they hadn't got a record deal yet. Um, but just what I needed, an early demo of that, uh, um, okay. was being played on WBCN. And, uh, and you know, I heard that the first time, and I was trying to sneak into clubs to to see them live um, and did. Um, eventually, I saw them in a little club that held, I don't know, two 300 people um, early on. But, man, that, that, that was such a buzz band um, in Boston, and, uh, and I just would tout that band i was the, i was the kid that would that could go to rock concerts at an early age my parents would let me go from like when i was in fifth grade to go to a concert by myself come back with a concert t-shirt that you buy from the bootleggers for four bucks outside the concert and nobody else's parents would let them go and uh so i, I had all my cred <laughs> my uh my junior high people but it didn't get me a date kurt didn't get me a date yeah. whatsoever
Whatever possessed you to start a record label? 
I haven't been asked that in a long time. Um, I, it's interesting to sort of take that question right now in 2020 um, with a bit of a backward glance and reflection and revisit that anew. Huh. In a way, it was real simple. It was, an, it was a fascinating landscape in the early 90s for power pop fans because America Online came on the scene about 1990. And the, for those early adopters, which I was, I was like one of the first 50,000 people on America Online. And they had their little kind of prehistoric design. This is early 90s with um, boards, um, places where you could post and connect with other people. And it was really clunky and didn't work. But I had somehow, I'm not sure which came first, was AOL or writing letters and um, but you know how you always would have your written out want lists. And uh, and I connected with people like David Bash, John Borak, uh, and Jordan Oaks. Um, and we would t- trade tapes and, you know, write, write handwritten letters and um, share our want lists with each other. And we were on AOL, so you were kind of connecting with other people of like-minded uh, interest and passion inside that little genre and um, my wife and I was living in L.A. at the time, and we moved in 93 to Aspen. And going up the chairlift in 1994, first, first run of the day, first big powder day, too, um, I was up riding up uh, alone in the chairlift. And I was kind of rebooting my life, um, early midlife crises, uh, uh, one could argue. I guess I was in my early 30s then. And um, I was like, hey, screw it. I'm going to start a record label up and I'm going to focus on power pop because there's plenty of punk labels and there's plenty of, uh, which obviously I'm a fan of and hard rock labels. Um, and no one had, there's no power pop labels and there's all these cool bands that I'm hearing about on AOL and through these handwritten letters with fellow music geeks. And, um, I took a, a low interest credit card, and uh, proceeded to uh, just sort of announce uh, on these boards that I was starting up a record label.
Yeah. 
people and I started getting demos and submissions getting mailed, um, you know, with lots of cassette tapes. There was no CDRs back in those days. Um, but some of these, the, some of these submissions were full on CDs and the, the first Rooks record was one of those. And I was so powerfully moved by the Rooks, uh, Rooks's, uh, Rooks's music. It even motivated me more to take the, the label, um, even more serious. And, um, you know, off I went the first, uh, the first release came out in March of worst releases came out in uh, March of 95 and off we went. But one of the things that happened as an outgrowth, Kurt, was, um, there were so many bands that were so good and worthy of having a larger audience that weren't getting heard, that didn't have distribution, that were locked out in a cul-de-sac of access, um, and being, uh, connected to, um, uh, power pop or, or other little sub genres, you know, garage, garagey kind of another derivatives and variants of the power pop family. Um, they were th- sort of thrown into the, to the woods, um, and ignored. And, uh, I decided that I was going to, uh, carry, you know, as a mail order company, uh, some of these bands, and it was just a real simple kind of it wasn't by design or anything. It was really an outgrowth of the greatness of the music uh, and a desire to have other people to be able to um, buy and have access to these bands. So I would send out these printed catalogs um, of which I did 14 over the years um, with uh, just listing of all these bands. So a lot of, I started off on consignment. I would buy five, 10, 15, 20 copies of a consigned, I should say CDs. Um, and then I started doing things more formally, but in the end, I'm not late carried, I think close to 15,000 different releases in its 16 years.
When will we see the Not Lame catalog on uh, streaming, or is that even possible? You know, it's not really possible. There's some stuff that's out there that that was um, uh, there, but it's, um, you know, most of the Not Lame catalog is really owned by the artists um, and, uh, and, you know, was licensed. Uh, boy, there was a huge catalog of stuff. I think it, I think it did close to 120 albums um, that came out on the label in its 15, 16 years. Um Paying for masters and owning masters was very, very expensive back in the day. Um, so having a, an album recorded by my, you know, my fa- my absolute favorite band on the label and still that that typifies the archetype of what I love about rock and roll the most, the Shazam. My, it, it, you know, just my favorite band. I'm, 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 I'm in touch with most of most of the not lame bands still to varying degrees, but very in much in touch with uh, Hans uh, Rotenberry um, because we got some projects that we're working on. I'd be more than happy to sort of fill you in on those. But the band, you know, it cost, you know, $15,000 to to make a Shazam record. And, you know, that was a crap load of money then, and it is now. Um, and, you know, I took basically the profits that um, – not lame as a as a online record store and label, and constantly flowed those back into uh, advances to licensed releases as much as possible, and the occasional uh, project that I was able to fund in significance to make absolutely great um, legacy um, drenched uh, releases like like the ones with the Shazam. Um, and even, and, you know, and the Rooks were, you know, that was an expensive band to record. Um, so they were, you know, there was uh, a lot of people just don't don't realize how big of a risk um, all that stuff is and how much you put your your own family stability um, in a precarious situation to to get the rock and roll out. Um, but uh, I have no regrets when it comes to to the Shazam, because those are records that uh you know, will bring me to tears um, when I talk about it length, uh, because there's just uh, so much of of my own soul inside those creations. You know, kind of like as an executive producer, Seven Golly, to bring those and midwife releases like that into the world. Is she really going out with him? I 
So why Power Pop? Very good question. Um, it's uh, I'm very much sort of a zeny kind of Christian. Um, I mean, kind of in the moment kind of person. And um, it really was that nobody else was doing it. But I was so passionate um, and knowledgeable, I think, too, with the genre. But I was with many others. And it could have been many others. But it was just in that moment, literally going up the chairlift. It like the dots kind of connected in that 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 mystical moment, and um, there I was. I was I was writing letters and trading tapes with all these other people, um, you know, John Borak, David Bash, Jordan Oaks, and Ye- Yellow Pills was a fanzine, um, and 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 that's another sort of um, tangent there. So seeing a fanzine in the early '90s that was dedicated to power pop was a big deal for, you know, X hundred of people um, back then, and of which I was one of those, and it was revelatory. So Jordan Oaks's efforts with that magazine in the early mid-90s was very influential and inspirational. Um, and I mentioned that even on the first CD that I did, you know, first two CDs that Not Lame came out, I actually put copy promotional copy for yellow pills on the cds um to promote that scene um and uh, you know allow other people to, to 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 have that experience too i think um but it was supremely uh influential uh to me because it was like hey there's other people like me out there
funny how Rolanda uh, mentioned this. One of these, what, and you've you've had this experience clearly. Is the uh, one of the great, awesome, um, not what the what's the word? Af- not aftermaths, but sort of outgrowths of the activity of not lame in the '90s and the double knots. Um, and what and what what you've done too? I'm sure you've had this experience. Was I ended up? I didn't think this was going to be the case, and I certainly didn't start it for that reason. But I started like meeting, getting to know, becoming friends with, or become in many cases really good friends with um, all these artists that I was a fan of as a kid, um, right. and that were just not gods, but I mean, they were like, they were in another stratosphere. And uh, it's just one of those things that still um, amazes me to to this day. It's just the coolest thing. Like I was talking to Jeff Murphy from Shoes yesterday, and we were sort of jamming on some ideas and some things um, that they possibly could be doing with upcoming projects. And um, and it was, uh, it's just so, and, and that was a major band for me. Just a major one. Black Vinyl Shoes came out. Um, that was, um, in terms of power pop, um, d- big moments for me were January 10th, 1975, I bought Radio City from Big Star um, at Woolworths in Needham, Massachusetts. And it just, it just changed my world. Well, shortly thereafter, a year later, I ordered... You know the mail mail through mail order a copy of Black Vinyl Shoes, um, and she's you know this was one of the uh, original ones you know not the PVC reissue but um, and that just it, it just spoke to me the same way it just I had never heard anything like it and it was to me it was just beauty uh, it was just these sirens from heaven were coming down with something I had never heard before and it really was heavenly.
not lame man did it. I did stop the I started the Pop Geek Heaven uh blog shortly thereafter, but it really it's not that it was an afterthought. Um I still was doing kind of those music efforts full time for a little bit after that. Um but one of the and and I'm sure you can relate to this as a longtime active blogger, even not just um you know, as a record label person or distributor or any other kind of aspect of the music business is that it becomes a blessing and a bane. And it, 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 it's really awesome to be able to write about and, and talk about and sell and uh, create projects related that brings music into the world. But when it becomes a vocation or an avocation that takes a lot of time and has responsibility with it, there's a trade-off there. And over time, it does sap, um, you know, energy and a bit of your soul and your priorities and time um, that that uh, dilutes opportunities um, that you could be pursuing otherwise. Um, and I hit that wall, you know, sometime around 2003 or four. Um, and I just needed to step away, um, you know, and then I and then I then I was back. You know, I took three, four years off from that um, and did did other things and started up, um, you know, working working in other um, business uh, fields, but not related to music.
That leads me. What is the future for Bruce and Not Lame Media? Well, let's see. What I got a bunch of projects. Even though I'm sort of out of the biz, I keep on saying that it's kind of like The Godfather Three with Al Pacino. It's like every time they think I got out, they pull me back in. Um, uh, the projects coming up. I, I, I'm literally just finishing up the Best Power Pop of 2019 CD right now. So I'm going to be announcing that in a couple weeks here uh, at uh, the beginning of June of 2020. And um, I'm working on another Power Pop Prime uh, volume. I think at the end of the year, Ken Sharp is going to um, unearth his next Power Pop Heroes, the last volume of the five volumes uh, with Jellyfish on the cover. Um, so that's coming out. And... Um, and then this uh, this uh, reissue campaign with the Shazam. So I'm actually going to be the busiest I've been in quite a few years now that I'm listening to myself talk. 
Yeah, so there's there's definitely going to be some activity, and uh, um, I need to um, uh, make it easier for people to get onto the to the email list. I I I, I do send out uh, regular newsletters to people on the Pop Geek Heaven um, mailing list. If anybody right. does want to reach out, um, I, I need to put up a, a new page to sign up. But uh, you know, drop me an email at Music Geek heaven at gmail.com music geek uh heaven at uh, gmail.com and i'll get you on the mailing list but uh, those newsletters um i'm doing every six weeks and they are just stuffed to the gills with uh, not selling anything but just uh, just purely information um for new releases um news happening cool blogs and uh podcasts and um, so they're highly, highly informative and, and just, um, you know, just a, a rich wealth of information for uh, power pop and really music fans in general.
Bruce, thanks again, bud. All right. You have a great day. I appreciate it. Thank you. You too. Take care. All right, sir. Well, come on, hurry up, clean up the house. Church folks come in. Wash them dishes, take the garbage out. Church folks come in. Pick them shoes up, vacuum the floor. I see them headed for our door. Church folks come in. We got church folks come in. Well, they got their Bible going to save our soul. Church folks come in. Say a little prayer before they go. Church folks come in. Looking forward to seeing us there. Just make sure you cut your hair. Church folks come in. Church folks come in. Well, hurry up, hurry up, finish that beer. Church folks come in. Hide that liquor bottle under here. Church folks come in. Put them porno videos in that drawer with your pantyhose. Church folks come in. Hey, church folks come in. Wow!